Hi Anthony, how you doing? I'm great. It's exciting to be on this side because normally I'm the one on your side interviewing other people, so it should be fun. Yeah, no, I appreciate you coming on. I was just saying, I've got some good guests been on recently and it's kind of like heavy hitters with you coming out, which is nice. So uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. We had a, a uh, an introduction, an introductory meeting a few, well, a couple of years ago now, I think it was, wasn't it? So boxes. Exactly. I won't get into that though. That's <laughs> a whole other story. <laughs> but um, yeah, if you want to just take us back, Anthony, as far as you want to go, and then um, we can just dive into your story and your journey. That'd be great. Yeah, sure. Well, I hope it's as interesting as the other guys you had on, that's for sure. Um, so I, I've gone back to 2004, which is when I feel my career kind of started, but also um, there's some full circle moments in there just because I met my current business partner at Haymarket Media, which is, you know, a big publishing company. Anyone who doesn't know, they published um, PR Week, uh, Campaign Magazine. I think they did What Car as well at some point. So they oh, kind right. of like went into a bit of the consumer magazine. Um, and I was publishing manager over there. So it was a really weird job because I don't know if anyone knows what that is, but on the one side, it's very numbers driven. You're kind of managing all the budgets. It's very, um, you know, you're protecting the bottom line of all the magazines of the P and L's. Yeah. And then on the other side, you're all about promoting the magazine. So it's the very creative side of it. So you've got this one hand that's very stressful and very numbers driven. And then the other hand is very exciting and, you know, promotional driven. So I was getting to do lots of events and getting to do lots of ads and that kind of stuff. So, um, it kind of had this schizophrenic job, uh, sort of description if you like how did you um, get into that one anthony what prompted you to become like look at a publishing manager yeah well i started out in i always wanted to do magazines and i didn't know what that meant or what that looked like but i just wanted to be involved in magazines and i thought i've always been interested in the kind of back you know back room people as opposed to you know the kind of celebrities and that kind of stuff so i knew i didn't really want to do consumer mags i wanted to do b2b um got a bit of a shock when I realized how corporate it was going to be because I just thought media is media but it you know Haymarket was a very corporate kind of um setup okay but work I worked on some magazines that were quite creative so I worked on marketing management today print week um and so it kind of gave me that sort of creative side if that makes sense in a very yep. corporate world yeah so Went over there, like I said, in uh, 2004, um, had a great time. Learned, my learnings from it were, you know, sort of figured out how to manage budgets, how to negotiate with people, um, you know, manage a P&L. Um, also figured out how the press work with brands because a lot of my job was go out, you know, if we were doing an event or something, get out there and figure out a way to get everything you can for free. It was at a time when you know, you could go to a, a hotel or something and say, oh, listen, I'm going to get all these great people through the door and I'm going to, you know, have our editor there and stuff. Can I have the room for free? Can I have the catering for free? And they would all do it. I mean, now it's very different. You know, people are cottoned way of the world and that doesn't happen as much. But then it was very much, you are the press and everybody kind of bows down to you, you know, so that, that was a good learning. Did you, um, was there someone you were learning from in there? How, because you, you just said that there was like negotiating all this and obviously yeah. then just, working out how to get these free rooms and hotels and stuff like that was there a, did you ever go on a 
proper training or was it essentially just working on a job and you learning yourself? Or? Yeah, I mean, Haymarket were the kings of training. So every other week you're on a training course. And at the time, obviously, you know, when you're 20 odd, you're kind of like, oh God, no, not another training course on a Thursday afternoon, sat in some stuffy training room. Yeah. But looking back, they really were the, you know, kings of training. Everything that you needed, they would have a training course for it that you could go on. So that was brilliant. Um, but I also had a really great publishing director. She was called Julie Moore. She okay. was incredible. She was kind of, I mean, she'd kill me for saying this, but she was mad, but the really good kind of mad, you know? <laughs> yeah. She looked at everything with fresh eyes. She was sort of like, well, why are we doing it that way? Isn't there a different way? You know, she was great like that. So she, I remember going into her office one day when I've probably been there about two months, three months and all that. And she said, right, you've got to know everyone because you've got to know all the PRs of all the drinks, brands, all the hotels, all this stuff, because if you're going to go out there and essentially negotiate all this stuff for free, you need a contact book. So she said, you know, you've got an expense budget. I'm like 25 at this point. And I'm thinking, so I'm being paid to go out, make friends and go for drinks with people in order to, you know, negotiate these kind of deals. Um, and that's exactly what it was on the one half. Um, yeah. And the other half, like I said, was, you know, being stressed as hell, trying to figure out the bottom line and P&Ls and stuff. And was that something you like doing? The going out um, and working? Yeah, I mean... I mean, I've done it through my whole career. You yeah, know, I've had to, all the different jobs I've had. So, um, yeah, I mean, I can I can speak to anyone. Um, you yeah. know, <laughs> I love going out and, and meeting new people and do it. But I know from experience, when I expect it of other people, other people just don't actually warm to doing a, a job like that. That's why I was intrigued because to me, it's yeah. like you're describing a part of like a large percentage of my job that I've been doing for the past seventeen years, but also. Um, I know from speaking with colleagues and peers and stuff like that, and they're like, I hate that bit of my job. And <laughs> I've never got that. Yeah. Really. You know what? It was kind of, like I said, it felt, although there was a serious business, you know, um, return on investment or whatever you want to say to it, yeah. I was effectively being paid to go and hang out with people, meeting people just like me, you know, that were kind of in the same jobs that I was in and stuff. And it, and I made some really good friends doing that, yeah. to be honest. So, um yeah, I mean, I found it as long as the you know as long as the person was open to it, I found it quite easy. Put it that way. Yeah. I had times when you'd sit and you know someone was just not getting what you were trying to say, and you know that's a different story. But um, but yeah, I'm I'm okay at building relationships. I quite enjoy it. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so going from that, so um, like I said, I met my now business partner and very good friend Loretta. Um, all those years ago it's hard to believe that it was that long ago for the company that i'm running now but um we got on like a house on fire you know and thank god because we still do today and run a business together so that's good um but she then moved on to uh, a fashion magazine called drapers and she went to the other big publishing company called emap so how long were you together at haymarket yeah we were together at haymarket she was the editor on one of the magazines that i looked after okay uh, and so, you know, like I said, got on like a house on fire. And then she was, uh, got, she got headhunted actually. So there's a trade publication called Drapers. Yeah. Um, which is for the fashion, you know, fashion industry um, and EMAP own it. And she got headhunted to go over there and give it a kind of fresh breath of life and, and launch their website actually. And how so long when, has she been at Haymarket with you at that point? He'd been there a long time before me. Um, oh, I see. Okay. 
yeah, we had four years together at Haymarket. Um, and then I stayed there for, I don't know, another six months to a year, whatever it was. And then she went, like I said, she went into EMAP over to Draper's and she said uh, to the guys over there, listen, why don't we have anyone that's kind of negotiating all these deals and doing these events and kind of promoting our magazines in this way? If we're going to start, you know, giving it a breath of fresh air, we need somebody who's going to come along with new eyes and sort of like work with the ad team, you know, and create a sort of promotional arm to the magazine. So I then followed her about a year later um, and again, had a great time there. And it was my first kind of foot in the door of fashion, if you like. So yep. All of a sudden, working for this great fashion magazine, uh, great you know, great website, and then on top of it, I had another portfolio of magazines, and this was the dream job. I mean, when I reel these off, so I looked after Drapers for fashion, broadcast for TV, Screen International for film, uh, can't remember what it was called, British Jeweler or something for the jewelry industry, and then Pure Beauty for the beauty industry. So you can right. imagine. One minute I'm at Fashion Week, the next minute I'm at the Cannes Film Festival, the next minute I'm at some big TV awards. I mean, it was insane. It was the best job ever. But sure. Yeah, it was mad. <laughs> um, it was only for 18 months. It feels like it was five years and 18 months because there's so much to do. But it really yeah. was the dream job, you know, working in all those industries, um, traveling all over the place, you know, meeting some amazing people. Um, it was just, you know, the great job. Um, and that working at Drapers is kind of how, so moving on to my next job, um, going back to 2009, um, do you remember my wardrobe.com? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, everyone's got a real soft spot for my wardrobe as do I. Um, and that was my sort of movement out of media into fashion e-tail. So what prompted the, the, um, the move from the dream job because it does sound like a dream job especially yeah. if you're liking travel and you're liking all those industries it sounds like it's you're going to want to do that longer than 18 months yeah do you know what it was though i think i'd always since being a kid i wanted to work in fashion and although i was working for a fashion magazine it sort of it still wasn't fashion if that makes sense at you all you just weren't close yeah, enough wasn't a yeah. brand yeah i wasn't close enough exactly that so um again made some great contacts you know at drapers which i'm very grateful for and again loretta introduced me to sarah curran who was the founder of my wardrobe um and again it was that whole thing she said oh listen you know we've heard you doing all these like brand partnerships to you know drive this that and the other in the business and tell us about it so I told her all about it and she said, oh, we could do with that. We'll have to tweak it a little bit, obviously, because it's consumer and all the rest of it. But, um, you know, why don't you come in and have a chat with us and see how we could create this brand partnerships role? So um, did that. When Are you nervous about that, Anthony, from going from like this B2B background and you know, like nailing it to then um, putting yourself out there to the B2C? Do you know what? I think I was so... I've become a lot more cautious the older I've got and I think at that time I was just so excited to be in I mean you've got to remember my wardrobe at the time was there were three sort of you know stars of e-tail because every year it was just starting to have its moment you had ASOS for sort of like the low end of the market net right at the top and then my wardrobe sat in the middle 
you know, they were winning awards left, right and centre. They were growing, I think, over 100%, um, you know, sort of year on year. I mean, it was their time. And I think yeah. I just, although I loved that job at EMAP, doing all the fun things that I just talked about, I really, there was no question in my mind, I'm just diving into my wardrobe because it's, who you know, you'd be mad not to. And how old were my wardrobe at the time? They were about three years old, I think. Oh, cool. So not quite a startup, but still in its infancy. Yeah, it still had a very, it was a real shock in terms of going from these two massive media companies that, you know, it was all very set up and corporate going into my wardrobe, which now I look back and see how brave they were. But at the time I was like, oh God, you know, I have to do everything myself, you know, which we all did because that's how it works in a startup. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um. But again, that that has kind of taught me the way of the startup because then I moved on to a few others. But I think, you know, um, to, I'm sorry, to go back to your question about being nervous about it, I was more nervous about making it a success for them. Yeah. You know, I've always very much sort of put my heart and soul into it. And it's like, even though they, Sarah and Andrew, owned the company, I was going to go there and I was doing this for them. You know, this was their baby. This was their dream or whatever. So it was about making sure that everything we did, because everything we did was a first, because there was nothing really, there was no historics, you know, and especially my job. There wasn't a job about that before. So um, I was more nervous about having success and making sure it would work because some things didn't, you know, we did a lot of different projects and some worked, some didn't. And how did you, was it easy to, to measure what you were doing? Like, is it clearly you've got, you, you, your success there was just about your own high expectations you were setting for yourself, essentially, mm. wasn't it? So were you coming up with yeah. your own ways of defining if it was success or failure? Well, actually, now I think back, the scary bit, I'll tell you this, was the fact that it was online. So every single thing was trackable. Right. <laughs> so it was, you know, you couldn't really, you know, success was measured, if that makes sense. You know, it had to, you know, how much traffic you were driving to the site how much data you were, you know, garnering through your partnerships and stuff. Um, That's interesting. I, I really want to pick your brains on this because I was, I was uh, wrestling with this the other day. Were you doing one thing at a time um, or were you doing multiple different, um, like, um, vehicles to promote? So I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at asking this question. So um, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, if you were doing lots yeah. of different things at one time, how would you measure it? Because obviously you wouldn't know which one was working, would you? Or were you very precise in what you were doing? No, we, I mean, they were great. They had all their web dev teams and everything. We all had different trackable links. You know, we were able to, we were able to see what was kind of working through PR department, what was working through the marketing team, what was working through my team. Oh, and it was very, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, you know, to that point though, there were some things that we did that was offline that was a bit harder to track, but yep. the majority of it was, digital so it was quite easy to track um but no i mean we were doing thousands of different things i mean there was the um, the output that we did you know i look back at it and i'm very proud of it um at the time when i was in it i think i was you know more stressed than ever but looking back at it and really proud of what they did and it's a shame the shame they sort of went out of business um was that a stress you were enjoying at the time yeah i think it was again it was the it was a stress but it was excitement you know yeah. yeah so um i mean you know i think any job stressful and like i said when you when you know that these people that you report directly into and it's 
their money and it's their dream like i said you know you can't i'm quite an emotional person even in business so it's it's hard for me to not feel that stress you know i wasn't going to turn up every day and just be like oh okay well i'll do my bit today and if it works it works if it doesn't it doesn't you know i was very much about making sure it worked for them yeah and that's that's a personal pride thing again though isn't it that's just mm. about you as a person rather than anything else yeah that's key. I mean, we, what, what went wrong with it i mean i think they we had i mean look here's the thing let's talk about the successes first we had some great first well at my wardrobe and i think especially with what i was doing we started out doing these brand partnerships that would essentially that were you know collaborations and they were free so we would partner with other people to share databases and drive a like-minded audience and you know all that kind of usual great stuff yeah. and then when we hit a sort of critical amount of data or whatever we realized oh hang on a minute we can do what Netaporte are doing and we'll launch a sort of mini advertising arm. And now we'll start selling this back to those people and they'll have to pay to advertise with us. So we created, you know, we created some really cool stuff there. We created this mini kind of media company within my wardrobe. We created style guides and, you know, a TV channel and, you know, some really cool stuff that made incremental revenue outside of the clothing. And when was uh, it? 2009? It was 2009. Yeah. Okay. So that was still really in its infancy for stuff yeah. like that, wasn't it? Like now it's just like for people that are just like listening to this is with like how-to videos and video channels. It sounds like it's really taken for granted, but that's only been a really recent thing, isn't it? Let alone 11, oh, yeah. how it was 11 years ago. I mean, I remember, you know, now, I mean, now that I've worked with other brands and they tell us about, you know, retailers where you can't even get your foot in the door until you've agreed to take an ad in the Christmas book and, you know, you just pay for a window and you do all these things. No one then was doing that, especially online. And Net-A-Porte were the first ones to sort of make this media, sort of shoppable media element to it. And then we just thought, well, hang on, let's, we'll do it as well. You know, and then ASOS launched their magazine and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, but to answer your question, I think what happened, I left a couple of years before they went out of business. And I think they were in a funny space, you know, they were actually, they were in a really good space where they were, sort of serving the person that maybe couldn't afford Net-A-Porter yet, but wanted to move up from ASOS. Yeah. Um, and I think they lost their way a little bit and wanted to be more Net-A-Porter and started discounting heavily. And, you know, any retailers that are listening or any brands that are listening know that that's the sort of kiss of death. You know, the minute you start conditioning your customer that they're going to receive a discount through the email every Friday or whatever it is, they're never going to buy full price or very rarely anyway. Yeah, there's no way back, is there, at that point? If, no, exactly. Yeah. So I think that's probably what happened to them. It's sad because it was such a great, you know, I'll bump into an editor in the street or something now and they still say, even though it's like, you know, 10 years later or whatever it is, they'll still say, oh, God, I really miss it. What happened to it? Um, you know. Yeah, it's, it's a yeah. shame because it's kind of like if they were just clinging on and surviving a few more years, they'd have been in the, definitely in the right space, wouldn't they? So. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's sad, I guess. But, you know, it is what it is. Obviously, it all happened for a reason. Yeah. Um, but, you know, my, my learnings from my wardrobe would definitely, I had a lot of um, interaction with investors, good and bad. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, and I, under, and I learned how a startup works, you know, like I said, because we did get involved in everything. Um, so, you know, that was a good learning and good teachings there, really. How was it when, uh, and from experience, you know, it can be quite challenging. So if, it, 
as it wasn't your brand and you're still having these interactions with investors, were you ever getting a little bit frustrated that you thought there was a good opportunity, but then you're relying on the founders to actually go ahead with it? And was there ever any conflict on that? Are you thinking that's the right move and it not happening? Um, you know what? I think looking back at it, I can see there were probably some moves that weren't right. But at the time I was just in awe in a way, soaking yeah. it all up, you know, from these two <laughs> amazing people that had kind of started this business and they were in this room full of investors and stuff. I mean, I had some really funny um interactions with them i remember myself and our pr director we were seen or we were described as the fluff by some of the sort of <laughs> and the investors because and we would leave the room and think mm, the fluff just so you know is driving all the traffic and creating all the awareness and making sure people know who you are so i know we're not sort of uh you know building the website or whatever but we're also very important to this business so that was quite a shock that you know the suits as i call them sort of saw us in a very different light um yeah i've so, heard that like, term used a couple of times it, it generally means um the people that are clearly doing the stuff we really don't understand but they're driving all the business yeah. somehow so yeah. we just call that the fluff yeah most definitely they're normally the most important ones yeah absolutely and you'd see, <laughs> you know, you'd see them sometimes i mean that at one point i think they had about 12 investors that would come to these meetings and you know, we would come in to do our bit and present and the Blackberries would come out and they'd start checking their emails and we'd just think, oh God, what are we doing here? But then, like I said, the irony was, you know, the minute we didn't do something, you'd see the traffic drop or you'd yeah. see, you know what I mean? So we were having that effect, but I guess they just saw it as this lovely, nice to have sort of job, I suppose. And did so they see nothing wrong with referring to you as the fluff? Was it just like, oh... <laughs> there they are. I know. I don't know. I just think they saw these like fashion people. You know what I mean? They were these suits, sort of in this room, very corporate and a bit stiff. And in would come these fashion people that they just probably felt a bit intimidated by. I don't know. Um, like I said, the irony was we we had our business heads screwed on, and we were the ones actually, you know, out in the market making sure people knew what the hell the damn thing was. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's so interesting times. So then what what happened after my wardrobe then? You left just before, yeah. well, it was a good time in. So then, um, so yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was kind of feeling that things maybe weren't going as well as they should be from sitting in some of those meetings. And also it was a really stressful time. Like I'm very grateful to my wardrobe, but at the same time, it was very, very stressful. And I've done four, four and a bit years, you know, so I thought, right, I'm going to, see what else is out there but luckily someone said to me oh have you heard of this sample box and I was like what on earth is a sample box and they said um you must have heard of it it's birch box it's huge in America and I said I've never heard of it let me have a look at it and I feel incredibly ashamed to say this but I remember sitting there and looking at this box bearing in mind sorry I should backtrack bearing in mind I'd done partnerships with every beauty brand out there when I was at my wardrobe because obviously they have a similar audience right it's like yeah. if someone's going to pay 50 quid for a face cream they're probably going to buy a 500 pound handbag from us so I did a lot of these partnerships with Estee Lauder Group and L'Oreal and all these types of guys so I knew beauty and I knew I had a lot of contacts in that space um, so I can't get my head around the fact that somebody's paying for this box of samples right so I look into it and I think, oh, okay, I'll go and meet them because this is clearly, I'm clearly not getting it. You know, there's obviously more to it. Yeah. And 
I was definitely wrong. I mean, it's one of the smartest or was one of the smartest business models out there, you know, on so many levels that yeah. the two women that were running it were incredibly smart. Um, I went and met the UK MD and she said, you know, she said to me, we need someone to come and be brand director who knows a lot of people in the beauty industry who can really get us going. You know, we haven't launched yet you'd have to create your team and, you know, help me build the office and all these things. And I thought, oh God, here we go again. You know, it's another startup, but it's in this different arena and I'm really interested in, you know, this business model. So I go along, um, I kid you not, I had, I mean, I would pull out my chair sometimes. We're in this tiny office and I'd pull out my chair sometimes and unplug, unplug the internet. I mean, we were all sat on top of each other, you know, it was mad. It was crazy times. But again, really good to sort of be at the very beginning of something growing. So how um, had they been going when you joined? Well, they had launched. They were in the States. Um, and I think they bought, uh, what was it called? Jolie Box or something? It was right. a French, you know, another beauty box in France that they bought and um, to create the sort of, you know, British arm, if you like. So, um, yeah, we built the team um went out and met with brands i mean my biggest shock though was it was probably about two weeks in and the md said oh you know just so you know you've got to go on this meeting with the us and talk to them about the e-com site and i was like what e-com site and she said yeah it's a you know it's a it's we're an e-commerce company too and how on earth i mean i feel terrible admitting this again but how on earth i've been that arrogant to assume that it was just this beauty box, you know, and it, there was, wasn't anything else to it. And she said, no, 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 you'll be buying for the, um, for the e-shop. And I said, oh, okay, cool. Cause I obviously didn't want to say I've never been a buyer in my life. I don't even know how to do it. You know, <laughs> but you'd already got your foot under the table at this point. Yeah. Well, <laughs> exactly. I, was already, yeah, I assumed I was going out to build these brand partnerships with these yeah. brands. So that night I went home, ran, I think I emailed our old buyers at my wardrobe and I said, here's the thing. I need a crash course in being a buyer. You need to send me everything to read. I need to understand what it means. They were like, fine, don't panic, we'll figure it out. So I sat up till like two in the morning that night, came in the following day, a buyer, effectively. Yeah, um, nice. Loved it. I thought, you know, I, I really loved it. I got used to it very quickly. The more meetings I went on, the more information I got in my head. So, so you put yeah. So based on your previous roles at like the mag at Haymarket and stuff like that, you'd essentially been doing a lot of the buyer role anyway, hadn't you? And learning some of the skill sets like negotiating yeah. and that. So exactly, exactly. So when you read it, you were you or that evening until two, you were basically thinking, Oh, I've been been a buyer but by a different name. I know most of this already. Yeah, totally. oh, that's cool as a confidence booster, isn't it? Yeah, it was just all the little bits and bobs, like, you know, they'd be banging on about margins and line sheets. And I was sort of going, um, uh-huh, yeah, hand them over, <laughs> I'll figure it out. Um, so, you know, and then, like I said, then it was, then it was even more interesting to me because it was merging what I'd learned in e-commerce at my wardrobe, but for the beauty market, um, which are very different, but in some respects, very, you know, pretty much the same. So, um yeah, Birchbox was a great ride. I mean, we grew pretty well, you know, we'd go out to New York to see the guys there and learn from them. They had a very different attitude, which I liked to the other companies. Birchbox was, and I mean this with love, they were like a cult. It was like, you know, 
we were all striving for this same end goal and we were going to take over the world and it was going to be, you know, we were all in it together. And I'm sure that there were a lot of people, you know, behind our backs and stuff that maybe we didn't gel with. But in that room, there was no backstabbing. You know, there was no sort of, you know, stress on that level. It was all very much, we're here to help and, you know, we're going to make the UK a success. Anything you need, you know, you reach out to us. You know, it was very much. That's a great culture, isn't it? Yeah, really great culture. Yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong, it was stressful there too. Because again, you know, it was a very senior position, you know, having to, you know, speak to the founder all the time um, and explain what was going on and how we were growing this market. And like I said, we grew very fast, you know, like we went, we went in first year, I think, like I said, there were like six, seven of us in a room. And then, you know, we went to like 30 odd people and a much bigger office and stuff. So um, there wasn't a lot of room for, learning if you like you just had to learn on your feet and you know get it done um and everyone they were so supportive and great and i loved my time there this was really at the forefront of subscription boxes as well wasn't it yeah it was tough though because we even though they were the first and they sort of created that subs commerce vibe in the uk glossy box had got there first so glossy box had actually I think they'd seen what was happening in the US and other markets. And so they were already here. So I would go to meetings and people would say, oh yeah, you like glossy box. And, we, and I would say, oh yeah, I guess. But, and then the US couldn't understand that because they were like, no, 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 we're the first, you know, tell them we're the first. Um, so it was this odd kind of mix of being the pioneers, but not in your home space. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, but again, you know, we did some great things for some incredible brands. You know, we would launch some brands. We would help brands into different regions because obviously they had France, Spain and the US. Um, so we would send British brands over to the US and, you know, vice versa. It was incredible. Amazing. And how long were you there for? Only two and a half years. But it, again, felt like a really long time. <laughs> the growth in those two and a half years was phenomenal, wasn't it? Oh, it was crazy. I mean, it really was. Um, we went from, I think, subscriber-wise, we probably, I remember fighting for, you know, a thousand samples when I first started it. And then it was in the hundreds of thousands. At the wow, end. that's insane. Yeah. British was, Beauty Box isn't quite there yet, Anthony. <laughs> You're getting there. Actually, we only started it, I think I told you before, we only started that box because um, we just wanted to help give the brands and startups that we were working with a bit more exposure here in the yeah. UK and in the US. It's slightly different. It's not really there for profit. It's more just exposure. But no, well, it's, yeah. they're a great. Listen, they're a great vehicle for any, you know, promotion, marketing, awareness, all that kind of stuff. They're so yeah. great. Oh. Incredible. Um, so yeah, from then, I then I became a consultant for a bit. I left Birchbox, just decided that I wanted to do my own thing. Um, Loretta and I had been speaking in the background about what I'm, I'll talk about after this, which is my current company. Yeah. Um, but in order for us to obviously get that off the ground, I had to have another job and so did she. So um, I, I started consulting. And again, it was that thing of, oh God, you know, I'm going to leave Birchbox, um, go out on my own, be petrified you know how am i going to pay my rent all those things and within the first month i had about seven or eight brands that i was consulting with which was incredible um that is again, incredible 
And yeah. you were able to manage your seven seven to eight, or you or were you getting inundated with even more? But you had to cap it at seven to eight because when you're on your own, going from having teams around you, it's pretty different, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, there were some that I chose not to do and you know not to go with and stuff, but. The ones I had, I was really grateful for. Um, and some of them were project-based as well. So, you know, I would work on something for a month and then that would be it. And I was aware of that from the beginning. So, um, but again, some amazing brands that were so supportive, like Shantakai and The Refinery and Balance Me, Space & Co. You know, all those guys, I worked with all of them. Um, and they were great. Um, but it just, in the background, with, sorry, I'm really sorry for interrupting, but I'm just intrigued. So, because of the um, the other jobs you had, when you decided to go on your own, I'd imagine before you left Birchbox, you were just um, asking around to see what people thought as well, and they probably encouraged you to do it because of relationships. And is that I don't want to assume that was the case, but um, and then did you have to target any brands, or because of the reputation you built up in the industry, did they then just come to you, and was it all referral? No, I mean, it's funny, you know, when people say that and they say, oh, yeah, you know, people just word of mouth and all that. I mean, it wasn't that easy. Um, okay. I, a lot of people were saying beforehand, like you said, yes, you know, oh, you can do this, get out there. But that's a different story when you do it. And then you yeah. call them and say, oh, you know, I'm here now. And they say, oh, okay, great. You know, it doesn't always happen that they just you know, it's you easy to be encouraged by people, isn't it? But yeah. for, the, for people to make that brave step themselves, it's something yeah. else. Okay, that's honest. And then no, but and then there would be people that I'd do one project, and then they would say, "Oh God, you know what you're doing is really great. Would you come and talk to us about our other brand, or you know, we know someone who's doing blah." And then I would go and see them. So um, it just sort of snowballed. The one thing I didn't really like about it, it was just doing it on your own. It's odd because when you've got, you know, when you've got great times happening it's great to be like, oh, wow, I'm doing this all on my own. But then yeah. when you've sort of got the downtimes, not that there were that many, but there were a couple, um, you've got no one to sort of like talk to and share ideas with and just get advice from, you know? So, um, yeah, I think you're the first person to say that actually, um, being that honest with it, but everyone who's co-founded something and done something together, they always talk about the huge positives that come from doing something with someone else like like you say like sharing those successes is even more it's even more amazing when you can share it with someone else isn't it and yeah. then um, during the down times it's very rare that you're down at the same time together so you've always got one of you to lift yourself up and stuff yeah. like that so oh listen what i'm doing now with loretta it is we are so alike in so many ways and we have the same kind of brand values and all that kind of stuff and even though we work on sort of opposite parts of the business um, and then we do cross over in some parts we still have that moment where I'm like you know I'll ring her and be like oh god you know this has happened or she'll do the same to me but it's it's so good to have someone else to just lean on and say you know this isn't going great or this is going well or whatever we I mean we probably don't celebrate our wins as much as we should is that um, you don't have time because you're on to the next thing straight away or you just um yeah I think so. I mean, the one thing Birchbox taught me, they were very much about that. They were saying, listen, every little step you have to, they would call it that. They'd be like, celebrate the wins, celebrate the wins, you know, and it got to the point where someone answered an email and we were celebrating the win for that. So it kind of lost its, uh, <laughs> you know, it lost its meaning a little bit. But I think we've gone the other way and we're just so 
on the sort of hamster wheel that we just do something really amazing and then we don't think about it you know and then i don't know six months later we'll say god look what we did you know a few months ago how incredible um yeah well, at least there's time for the reflection at least albeit brief i suppose because you do need to celebrate some wins to some degree don't you but... yeah absolutely absolutely um and that's yeah so that takes me on to what i'm doing now so um and where was that how long ago did you stop doing your own thing and then get in with loretta nearly two years ago okay um but it was always bubbling in the background since you know 2015 when i started my consultancy um she had built so it's called the industry.fashion um and we're an insights destination for brands and retailers shaping the future of fashion and now beauty, which is very exciting. We've just launched our beauty channel dedicated to the beauty and grooming arenas. Um, and we just felt that, you know, she's an editor by trade. You know, she was a brand director at WGSN, the big trend forecaster. Um, you know, and then obviously me coming from e-commerce and Birchbox and fashion, it just was a great mix of, you know, all the tools we'd learned, I guess, about being very data-driven, you know, uh, sort of helping businesses make great decisions. And I think what we felt was missing out there was a sort of B2B, you know, website publication, platform, whatever you want to call it, that didn't, you know, that had that kind of data-driven element to it. Everything we do um, has a sort of consumer data angle. We're not just about putting out a story because it's our opinion. You know, we've gone to the market and said, okay, everybody's saying that, you know, under 30 is not shopping on the high street, you know, are you, you know what I mean? We'll ask all of these types of questions um, and then present it back in a report or in a news story or whatever it is. Um, so we've built some great data products. We do a who, monthly brand and retail tracker. Who gets the, um, so is it a subscri subscription model yourself or do, or do you do individual projects on trends? How does that work? Yeah, we started out as a, as a membership organization so you would buy a different tier of membership so you got access to sort of certain things so you get access to all the data products or you'd get access to the magazine whatever it is um and then when covid hit that was our only way of helping our industry we said well listen people out there need information and very you know important data-driven information more than they've ever needed it so we're going to take away all barriers and let people go for it just let them have it you know it was our only way of helping our audience. Um, well, so that was just a flat, the same fee for everyone rather than tiered at that point. For free. We took away all the barriers and said, look, guys, come and get it for free. Get your information. We want to help you. You know, we couldn't donate money. We couldn't really give any time because we were already working, you know, 25, eight. Yeah. Um, so our way of helping was to say, all right, guys, you know, come and read the, the online news come and act, have access to the data insights, you know, attend our webinars, listen to our podcast, whatever you want to do, you can do it for free. And we had such great feedback when we did it. Our traffic, you know, more than doubled overnight, um, you know, signups to the newsletter, everything. Um, and there were, you know, we felt great because it was our way of helping people give them this information that they, they need, you know, the fashion and especially fashion retail, is on its knees you know yeah. and especially at that time there was a lot of panic so for us to be able to give them you know just to run through what we do we've got a database that's called a master it's called the intelligence it's a master database of the fashion world so 
anyone operating in the UK, you don't have to be a British brand, but anyone operating in the UK, we've got a profile on you. So everyone from an independent on the high street right through to, you know, an ASOS sort of global e-commerce brand, you can log into this profile at any given moment and sort of take any stats that you need, you know, find out who the board is, you know, um, what's their average order value, all these different stats wow. help you make a decision on your business. Um, so we opened that and gave access to that. We also do a monthly brand and retail tracker where we interview 2000 consumers across various socioeconomic demographics about what's going on in, uh, out there at the moment in retail. So we opened that up and allowed people to get all that information. We had a, we've got a kind of library of past reports on various things um, on sustainability and e-commerce and all this stuff. And we let people have them so you can read them, uh, you know, as you see fit. Um, and yeah, it was sort of our way of helping our industry, really. That's super brave. Like, um, and really admirable. I know that people, there's a lot of um, people like Gary V and all that, um, yeah. that I really follow. And he's always been about this, uh, give, just like share, uh, you're not really competing, just keep sharing info, big people up, build people yeah. up and it'll all come back. So then you've done that. So do you, that clearly won't help you pay the bills. So then are you being brave <laughs> because you're hoping then that um, people that, are getting all this data for free then want to work closely with you in the future so you're really i mean here's the thing right we we couldn't have done it if we didn't have incredible commercial partners yeah. um and we work with some incredible people we work with klarna very closely the buy now pay later people yeah you know we work with people like avery dennison we work with people like more too so all of the people that want to effectively reach our audience so you know our readers or our users if you like our fashion brands retailers designers etc and our commercial partners are the suppliers for want of a better term but you know suppliers in fintech and manufacturing and all that stuff they want to reach these guys so we wouldn't have been able to do that if our revenue streams weren't tight you know from those guys which we're very grateful for because it's oh, enabled the, so that's the revenue stream okay that's nice yeah. It allows you um, to, to do all that. That's incredible. Yeah, exactly. Well, like I said, it was, you know, we, we, you know, we care about this industry and we wanted to make sure that we could do something and that's what we thought we could. But like I said, we wouldn't have been able to do it without our commercial partners. Um, so yeah, that's how Commercial partners will be over the moon because now your reach is even better than before. Exactly that. Yeah. Incredible. And just, um, did you, when you made that decision, because decisions had to be made super quick, like when lockdown kicked in, didn't it? Did you and Loretta have to make a decision and then hope that your gut feel about the income streams was enough? Or did you have to put some work into it beforehand? Or were you just like, let's just do it and um, help us out? I, I, do you know what? I remember, I think it was the, it was the day of lockdown. It was March 14 or whatever it was I can't remember and we sat down and we just the, the beauty about us two we've got a team obviously but the beauty about us two making decisions and being on the same page which we pretty much always are was that we sat there and it was about five minutes and we said listen what are we going to do to help our audience how can we do something and we said right let's just unlock it you know let's unlock um let the people see it so we were able to do it very quickly um the challenge though came from a lot of our revenue was from live events which obviously died overnight yeah and again our partners were incredible you know we went to them and said we know we've got these three live events booked with you 
we're, can we come up with some ideas to sort of like make them digital or do podcasts or whatever? And Klarna for one were, were just the best. You know, we said to them, they said, well, look, we wanted to do podcasts with you. So let's get the podcast off the ground instead. So we then overnight got our podcast stream, you know, sorted. Um, and that's how we did it. You know, everyone was just great. We had a sort of positive response from all our commercial partners and stuff. Yeah, that's amazing. I love how the um, the lockdown in so many like, had an impact positively of people just getting stuff done suddenly. Yeah, just moving. There was a lot of people that were dabbling about e-commerce and they've cracked on and done that. And people wanted yeah. to. Yeah. Well, I mean, doing a podcast was never a desire of mine, and I've kind of stumbled into it to be honest. But um, it's great because I get to chat to people like you all the time. Now. Uh, it's amazing and learn so much. But I mean, that's the thing we work with. We got some great advice actually from Klarna were great to us from the very beginning and still are. And we met their founder Sebastian, who is the smartest guy ever, you know. And he gave us some really good advice, and we said to him. I won't name who it was, but there was a <laughs> there's a traditional um, bank or payments provider, whatever you want to call them, that was sort of a bit sniffy about us at the beginning. I think it's fair to say, just because we probably, you know, we are doing things a bit different and we are sort of a bit more contemporary than say, you know. Um, and I was a bit upset about it because I wanted to work with them and I went to, um, when we met with Klarna and I explained to him what was going on, I told him what happened. And he said, listen, here's some advice. You want to sit in the room and work with people that get it and that are like you. And he said, we were the same at the very beginning. People didn't understand what we were trying to do. And they were like, Oh, but it's not this. And it's not that. And he said, you know, they're not the ones you want to work with. He yeah. said, when you guys came to us, we got it immediately because we were like you once. You know, so he said, while you're getting, you know, while you're getting everything going, just work with the people that are like you. They're brave. They can see what you're doing. You know, they're willing to take a chance. He said, and then you'll have success. And that's kind of what we do. So I wasn't surprised that our partners were open to us doing something new because they, they're brave in themselves, you know. So I think they sort of, when the COVID and everything hit, they were just like, no, no, no. you guys will figure it out. You know, we're happy with yeah. it. Go off and, you know, make it digital. Do what you want. Oh, that's awesome advice. I um I've worked with a couple of brands historically, and um, they were desperate to try and secure investment or try and secure listings, and they ended up compromising on their own values and identity. Yeah. And that's just because people weren't really getting. And that would have one of them actually would have been this mail order subscription pack for men grooming. So it's kind of like right on the money now, but no one was getting it at the time. So. Right. Yeah, it's really disappointing. So that's cool advice. I think you have to believe, you know, you, it's cheesy as hell, but you have to believe in what you're doing, you know. Yeah. And here's the thing, though. We've got incredible investors. And when I said about the sort of full circle moment, our invest, one of our investors is the ex-chairman of Haymarket Media. So <laughs> he was effectively our boss all those nearly 20 years ago. Um, and they are incredible. Not only do they bring all this wealth of information from the media world, um, they obviously brought the backing as well. But yeah. again, you know, they we were doing Zoom calls with them just to talk through what was going on. And, you know, they, they've been great. Um, and so we had that sort of on our side. Too. Oh, that's awesome. It's gone full circle. And when yeah. you've got these people surrounding you, Anthony, because you, you definitely need people to buy into what you're doing and get it. But are they challenging you, challenging you guys on something sometimes as well? Just or Yeah. To, yeah. Sure. I mean, we're always being challenged. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Yeah, but it's good. I mean, that's good because that means you 
think about stuff in a different way, you know, because we we don't know everything. Um, but we've had all of these roles that's taught us a lot to get us to where we are now. Yeah. But, you know, we don't know everything. And there's it's just nice to have someone else challenge you and say, mm, that's all right. But what about this? You know, it just gets you thinking a different way. Yeah, you need it, don't you? And did you, when that that started really happening, because I know a lot of people struggle with it because they feel like it's a tackle on them personally. Are you comfortable or do you ever feel it's, um, do you ever get protective of your ideas or is that something something you've got used to a bit more, I guess? Yeah, I've definitely got used to it. Um, Take our investors, for example, they were brilliant, but, you know, at the beginning, it was quite intimidating in a way because they did have all of this knowledge and, you know, it, it was very much, it was kind of what I was saying about going back to the founders of my wardrobe. You know, I then sort of thought, God, we've now got these investors. We need to make this a success, not only for us, but for them, you know, so it became a very different thought process and conversation. And I think when they would challenge things, I would sort of think, oh God, you know, they don't trust me or they don't, you know, like what I'm doing or whatever. But then, you sort of ease into it and realize that actually they're not there to trip you up or they're not there to disagree just to be, you know, a pain or whatever. They're doing it for the better of the business because then we all win, you know? Yeah, so, um, no, exactly. No, it's really interesting. It's something I used to really struggle with until coming to work here and I got used to it. I suppose it's um, once you know you're in that safe environment, you feel a bit more comfortable with it, don't you? And, uh, yeah, absolutely. And you know, trying to teach other people that same thing i suppose just experience i guess oh cool how do people reach you anthony they can reach us at so our website's called the industry.fashion yeah and they can we're very open they can go on they can hit contact they can reach out to us (laughs) you know we're very uh we're very open to you know contact and people feeding back to us and stuff so and are you on social media yourself yeah exactly so i'm um on i'm only on instagram yeah the anthony.horman cool um and all of our handles though for the industry.fashion are on our website they got click-throughs and everything like i said um you've probably got a lot of uh, subscribers from the beauty arena and we've just launched our dedicated beauty channels so that's got its own weekly newsletter which will take daily like the fashion one when, once it gets going and stuff so um yeah people should come and have a look at the site and have a look around because it's yeah it's definitely I'll, um, I'll put a post on linkedin and on instagram and stuff and point people to it when this goes oh, out oh. So that'd be cool oh, amazing so and you've got no this is like you for the long haul now is it with loretta doing this business yeah i think so you know we um we're growing really well and you know like i said every day the traffic grows and the signups grow and everything and i feel you know just we've got so many ideas to do more things so um, so is this now the new dream job for sure for sure (laughs) awesome definitely uh it's it's more of a it's more dreamy i should say when it's your own that's for sure yeah most definitely um yeah it's pretty great amazing well thanks for your time today anthony that's awesome Thanks so much. I really appreciate you coming on. That's cool. I'll speak to you soon. Yeah, take care. Cheers, all the best.